I'm Andy Viano, a staff writer at the Flathead Beacon, and today is Wednesday, April 1st. This is the Beacon's daily update on the coronavirus and its impact on the Flathead Valley. This episode and all of the Flathead Beacon's free coverage is made possible by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Editors Club members contribute as little as $5 per month to support our mission of delivering free, independent journalism to the Flathead Valley. And I also want to say a sincere thank you to the many of you who have already done so. Uh, These are not easy times for any businesses, and I'm sure for most of you either, uh, but we really appreciate your contributions right now. And please know that we take the responsibility of justifying your belief in us uh, very seriously. For those who have not joined or are looking for more information, you can find it at beaconeditorsclub.com. We're going to do a little something different on today's podcast, and it's created in conjunction with the story on the cover of this week's Flathead Beacon, and we're going to try at least to talk about something a little more upbeat. Artists, musicians, and actors are finding creative ways to get through this outbreak and shut down, and you'll hear from a few of them a bit later. Plus, if you stay tuned all the way to the end of today's episode, you'll hear the trailer for Project 7, the Beacon's first true crime podcast that'll be released on April 8th. First, though, the news. Here's the latest on COVID-19 in Montana as of 7 p.m. on Wednesday, April 1st. There have now been 217 total cases of the coronavirus confirmed in Montana after the state added 19 new positive tests on Wednesday. Flathead County saw its most significant spike of the outbreak today, jumping more than 50% to 17 total confirmed cases. That's the third most of any county in the state, behind only Gallatin County, which has experienced community spread and reports 79 cases, and the 32 cases in Yellowstone County. Five Montanans have died statewide as a result of COVID-19. In other news, a study out of Whitefish on Tuesday estimated that businesses in the city are losing $732,000 per day during the coronavirus outbreak. The Whitefish Convention and Visitors Bureau and Whitefish Chamber of Commerce released the study with compared spending this March in the town to the same period in 2019. Losses were spread across the spectrum, including retail, restaurants and bars, lodging and professional services. The city of Whitefish on Monday asked short-term rental owners and lodging properties to stop accepting new reservations beyond April 30th in an effort to contain the virus. Finally, the Montana chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union asked the state Supreme Court to order the release of some Montana inmates to prevent COVID-19 from spreading among prisoners. The ACLU argued the state was not doing enough in that regard, although Governor Steve Bullock issued a directive late Wednesday that suspended new transfers into the state's Department of Corrections and asked the parole boards to consider early release for inmates 65 and older. That's the news for today. Now, stay tuned for tonight's special feature, created in conjunction with my colleague Justin Franz's cover story in this week's Flathead Beacon, Creativity in a Time of Crisis. Just in time for summer and the apocalypse, a 3D printable suicide machine. 
You know, obviously, in the last uh, one or two or three weeks, however many weeks this has been going on, we've had a lot of serious, uh, a lot of serious stories uh, in the print edition of the Beacon and on FlatheadBeacon.com. And we wanted to do something a little more hopeful um, in regards to the COVID outbreak, and so we wanted to uh, to see what some of our local artists were doing. As the coronavirus began to spread, Whitefish singer-songwriter Nick Spear did what he usually does and took his thoughts to music, composing Quiet Little Town, the song you just heard, and recording a video as he danced behind a cart at a local supermarket, searching unsuccessfully for a roll of toilet paper. I just wanted people to have some sort of cathartic way to release and laugh a little bit about just the surreal absurdity of not having toilet paper in this time when yeah. very, very serious things are happening. You know, it's just how are how do we have a sacred moment in the middle of all this secular crud of modern living? It's just weird. Beacon staff writer Justin Franz talked to Spear and a number of other local artists and musicians for his piece in this week's Flathead Beacon, Creativity in a Time of Crisis. Luke Walrath, who runs the Whitefish-based Alpine Theater Project with his wife, Betsy Morrison, was one of those people who talked to Justin about what it's like to make art at a time when no one can go out to experience it. It's not surprising that the people to first adopt creative solutions were the people in the creative sector. Just because I think people who are in the arts and who are in, you know, in those kinds of things, we're just kind of used to bobbing and weaving anyway. And that's why we decided to do what we, what we're doing with Young Frankenstein was mainly to just prove to the kids and ourselves and the community that, look, there are options out there and there are solutions out there, but creativity is going to be the tool that gets you there. As Luke mentioned, Alpine Theater Project, or ATP, was supposed to perform an adaptation of Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein with a cast of high school actors, but of course that's not possible for any number of reasons right now. So they improvised. For us to just shut it down and say, sorry kids, we can't do it. That would have been the easier thing to do, honestly. But in our eyes, that wasn't the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to fight like hell for the kids to keep giving them either a sense of normalcy, which is hard to come by right now, but also just something to look forward to working on. Their worlds are are flipped upside down right now, too, and I think they welcomed any chance that (laughs) something's not getting canceled, you know? But we we were very clear. We were like, you know, guys, this is, it's no longer a show. Just be aware. We can't put on a show like you thought or like we thought. We just can't. The theater's not available and nobody would come anyway. And we can't get you guys in a room. (laughs) So we can't, we can't do that. 
But Betsy literally, and I, I told Justin this, Betsy literally just walked down the, the stairs in the house and because we were just debating, like, what do we do? What do we do? Do we, do we cancel? Do we, um, do we, you know, do we just, what do we do? And Betsy just kind of walked down and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. What Betsy decided was something pretty ambitious. ATP was going to deliver costumes and green screens to the performers. Luke was going to record scratch tracks or rough versions of the parts they were to sing. The performers were, in turn, to then record their parts and send them back to Luke, who would help put it all together into one composition, and Betsy would choreograph movements from the teen actors, all in different locations, mind you, to mimic as much as possible what the show would have looked like. Our skill level with this is that we know enough to probably get it done, but we don't know enough to know that it's crazy. Crazy or not, ATP's performance of Young Frankenstein is scheduled to debut on Sunday, April 26th at 7 p.m. on ATP's website, that's atpwhitefish.org, or across their social media channels. No matter the success of that show, however, the future remains very much in doubt for many artists and organizations, including ATP. Erica von Kleist, another prominent local musician, set up a GoFundMe to try and help her colleagues called the Montana Music Relief Fund that had raised nearly $3,000 as of this recording, but that's just a fraction of what would be needed to fill the void around the state left by canceled shows. We are looking at our future programming, especially through the summer, uh, as we see this thing grind on. You know, we're constantly looking at, okay, we haven't made it. We haven't made the call yet. Um, uh, we're not in a position where we feel like we need to make the call. We are not further. We're not far enough along in our, like, the financial resources committed, um, the logistics, uh, you know, things like that. That we feel like July's out of the question yet. We we're just not ready to make that call. Um, because if there is any chance that in a month we can come back to some sense of normalcy, we're going to do it. Normalcy hopefully will return someday, and until then, artists, musicians, and actors are persevering, in some ways creatively, and in other ways a lot like the rest of us. I'm um, homeschooling my daughter, and I'm baking you know, I got a sourdough starter, and I'm cleaning the hell out of my garage. My garage is sparkling <laughs> at this point. I pretty much go down there every day to like throw stuff out and going on walks. There's some pretty, there's been some pretty amazing, you know, moments. You know, right when we had this lockdown thing, we had those five bluebird days, and it was like, mm -hmm. you know, looking at looking at stars and satellites with my my daughter it was kind of amazing. The slowdown is like that's. I mean, that's. That's a good thing. You can listen to Nick Spears' Quiet Little Town on YouTube, Spotify, and a host of other places. And you can learn more about Nick at nickspear.com or head out to see him and his band, The New Way of Time Trippers, whenever life returns to normal.
And now, one more special treat before we go. The Flathead Beacon is releasing its first true crime podcast next week. It's called Project 7, and it was produced and created by me and Justin Franz. It's an incredible story, and one we've been working on for more than a year. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to Project 7 on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Again, that's Project Numeral 7. 911, what are you reporting? Uh, we are reporting. We live on Highway 12. Uh-huh. And just before you get to Fort Fizzle, uh, there is an electric, where the electric people came in on a line. There, and there has been someone parked there and sleeping there the last five nights or so. On June 12, 2011, sheriff's deputies located a blue Jeep Cherokee that had been parked illegally in a wooded area southwest of Missoula, Montana. Fort Fizzle with that Cherokee. Uh, and right now I'm attempting to get him stopped in the ditch. Um, be out with him in a sec, hopefully. The deputies, one a veteran and the other a trainee, watched as the Cherokee pulled out of a ditch and then blew past a stop sign. He's running from me. How fast? We're doing about 70 right now on Highway 12. That day, David Bergert seemed to know exactly where he was going, leading officers off the highway and into the Lolo National Forest. Yeah, he's definitely looking for a place to confront us here. Less than a minute later, Bergert stopped on top of a ridge, got out of his Jeep, and grabbed his gun. Shots fired. Shots fired. No one has seen David Bergert since. The man Missoula County deputies encountered in 2011 may not have been familiar to them, but he was no stranger to law enforcement further north in the Flathead Valley. A decade earlier, a group calling itself Project 7 had gathered a cache of weapons outside of Kalispell and compiled a list of public officials they wanted to assassinate. The leader of that group was David Bergert. Very confrontational, arrogant. I mean, I maybe met two people that I just hated within a minute of meeting him. He was one of them. With Bergert, it was the real fear as to violence. They were uh, practicing what I would call, you know, paramilitary training. He did raise his rifle at us. We're yelling for him to put the gun down. He's yelling back at us to kill him. The police department, local law enforcement and local politicians, and kill them all. And then after you kill them all, then they're going to bring in the National Guard. And then I'm going to attack and I'm going to kill the National Guard. Today, more than eight years after David Berger disappeared without a trace, the debate over his whereabouts continues. I think Dave Berger's dead. If he was alive, he would have come to law enforcement's attention anywhere in the country he may be at. From my perspective, until you can find hard proof that says David Berger is no longer a threat, you can't let that guard down. 
I don't believe he's out there. I just cannot believe that he could keep quiet that long. And if he did, great for him. It's that mystery that hasn't been solved. It's the Amelia Earhart of, of our day in Montana, right? Where's David Berger? Is he living in the woods as a hermit? Is he being harbored by somebody with like beliefs as him? Is, did he move back down south? Is he dead at the bottom of a cliff somewhere in the wilderness? Nobody really knows, and that's, uh, there's no closure, there's no, there's no answer. Project 7, a new podcast coming soon from the Flathead Beacon. Go ahead and disbelieve it. You're about to start something that you have no idea what you're doing.